Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. Amen. Earlier this month, Michael and I received two letters in the mail from former parishioners in Chattanooga. The first was a lovely card congratulating us on our wedding in the summer of 2018 and also containing a gift card to the movies. The second was another lovely card explaining that the original got lost in the shuffle and was tucked away in a drawer until now. It read, yes, it is a strange time to be getting a gift card to the movies. But what if we allowed it to represent our expectation of being able to do date nights and public gatherings again soon? It was an Advent letter. As the world awaits the production and distribution of life-saving vaccines, as we continue to struggle moving forward after a contentious and contested election season, as we grapple with the continuing realities of this time of pandemics and all the grief it has borne, not to mention the woes that never left, climate change, poverty, racial injustice, and seemingly insurmountable political polarization, to name a few, we surely have more pressing matters at hand than the movies. But in essence, this is what Advent is all about. We wait in longing and in darkness, but not as those without hope. Indeed, God who has come will come again and is with us even now. It is the mystery of faith in which the Lord of all time, who transcends time itself, breaks into our lives with power, grace, and renewal. So it is through faith that this letter from the past for me became a dispatch from the future. A dispatch from the future. A concept not at all foreign to those within the Judeo-Christian tradition, encapsulated today in Isaiah's prophecy. Good news for the oppressed, healing for the brokenhearted, liberty for the captives, release for the prisoners. This ancient prophecy becomes the foundation for Jesus' ministry in Luke and arguably his mother's song, which we also sang today. Thus, the role of the prophets is not so much as fortune tellers, but as future proclaimers, dreamers, and visionaries who declare a God-inspired plan for what the world could be and what it one day will be in a universe whose arc does indeed bend toward justice. The prophets call us to align our lives with God's reign here and now, that we might know God's kingdom come on earth, that our lives may be transformed evermore into God's own likeness. With that in mind, I wonder what modern-day prophets come to mind for you. At the beginning of COVID, my imagination was captured by a seminary professor named Todd Bolsinger, who wrote a book on adaptive leadership in the church called Canoeing the Mountains. 
in the book, he uses as a central metaphor the expedition taken by Lewis and Clark and their companion, sometimes called Sacagawea, although linguists now think that perhaps a more accurate pronunciation may, may be Sacagawea. In any case, Lewis and Clark's journey was nothing like what they expected. Their relentless and determined search for a navigable waterway connecting east to west brought them to the foot of the Rocky Mountains. And without the knowledge and wisdom of their new friend, Sacagawea, they surely would not have survived. Fast forward to an utterly different time, place, and set of circumstances. To the turn of this century, when Pastor David Gibbons of Irving, California, started New Song Church, a church begun as an experiment to ask, what would it look like to be a church without walls, committed to reconciliation and community through being in the community and migrating between different neighborhoods and homes within it? This new church had a strong digital component. And even in the early days, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, members would actually receive an email telling them the details of where they would be meeting week by week. Well, people rolled their eyes at what was at the time considered a fringe movement. They called Pastor Gibbons crazy and said it would never work. Today, not only does it happen to be a thriving, multi-ethnic, socially engaged congregations of hundreds in worship each week, but it established something of an early prototype for online Zoom church with which we've become so well acquainted. It was a church from the future. Well, in the book, Canoeing the Mountains, Pastor Gibbons, a self-avowed futurist of sorts, is quoted saying this. He says, the future is already here. It is just on the margins. The future is already here. It is just on the margins. He goes on to assert that we all need Sacagawea figures in our lives, those who stretch us, who impart wisdom beyond our own experience, who call us to more, to deeper, to new awareness and knowledge we didn't have before and couldn't gain on our own. When Lewis and Clark encountered the Rocky Mountains, they turned in humility to one who could not be more unlike them and yet who knew the way forward already. This summons to the margins, echoes throughout the scriptures, and in no figure more than John the Baptist, who we meet today, evoking considerable bewilderment and suspicion, if not disdain, as he invited any who would draw near to the banks of the Jordan, John the Baptist is first greeted with a barrage of questions, interrogating him as to who exactly he is, whether the Messiah, Elijah, or one of the prophets. 
And although he stands squarely in the prophetic tradition, he denies with humility even the title of prophet. Defying all the categories, he says, no, I am simply the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. Unlike the other Gospels, there are no locusts or wild honey or camel's hair in John's accounts. This baptizer is identified not by his clothing or cuisine, but by where he comes from. The wilderness. The wilderness, which is to say, not the locus of power or wealth, not an urban center, certainly not a place like Midtown, John may not have been a Southern Baptist, but he certainly wasn't a city Baptist. He was from the sticks, from the fringes, from the margins, inviting folks to prepare the way for the future, to prepare the way for the one who was to come in Jesus. Friends, our Advent task is to prepare the way For the one who is to come, to make room for Christ in our hearts, in our communities, in our world. How? Usually by getting out of our own way. You see, the prophet's invitation away from the center and to the edges is fundamentally an invitation to de-center ourselves so that we can place no one but Christ at the center of our lives, to dethrone our own egos so that Christ might truly be king, remembering with John that we are not the Messiah, and thus reordering our lives in a way that lets God be God, in a way that calls us to share power in a circle of mutuality and respect where everyone has a place at the table. In so doing, we inhabit and embody God's dream for the world. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dream. Our psalm today unites us to the dreamers and schemers of every age, audacious enough to take hold of this dream of God, to hope for a day when those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. The scholar Walter Baerlin, who has conducted perhaps the most in-depth study of this particular psalm, suggests that the original sense of the text is perhaps best encapsulated in the Latin phrase, restitutio in integrum, a restoration to the original state, a restoration to integrity, the original state, which is profoundly different from saying a restoration to our baseline or to the status quo. No original state, as in God's intention, Think all the way back to the garden. No sin, no shame, no fear, just love. That is where the prophets are trying to call us, 
in their dispatches from the future. You know, my fear is that with this pandemic, it can be all too tempting to set our eyes simply on baseline, on the status quo. Our God can move mountains. With faith and with God's help, God can move mountains through us. But, you know, we can get back to baseline without God. There are lots of things that can simply get us back to baseline that aren't God, especially for those with an abundance of material wealth and privilege. The shallow tranquilizers of money, substances, self-ability, and sometimes sheer will and determination can easily restore us to the status quo. And yes, we will get back to church, back to the movies, back to school, back to football, and all those good things, praise God. I'm not complaining about any of that. But this pandemic has put the spotlight on some mountains we have to move. Out there and in here, too. This pandemic has exposed some mountains. Mountains of public mistrust. Mountains of injustice and inequity. Mountains of mayhem in homes, and in marriages. Mountains in our hearts. Mountains of fear. Mountains of mental health crises. Mountains of despair that were always there. And yet, how many of us still have our canoes and paddles out? How many of us want to go back just to the way things were because it's the easiest thing? when we realize there's no easy stream from east to west, from Atlantic to Pacific, from where we are to where we're called. But do we really want to go back? Just back to baseline? This pandemic has been a season of awakening that has brought the dream of God into stark relief with reality. Acknowledging the contrast between the world as it is and the world as God intends, the God of the prophets invites us forward with courage and humility into a new old dream for the world. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness stands at water's edge, inviting us to the margins of our own lives to the edge of our comfort zones, of our thinking, of our habits and patterns, inviting us to nothing less than new life with Christ at the center. What would that look like for you? What would it mean for you to drop your paddle, to chart a new course, to change, and to be transformed? What would it look like for us? What would it look like for a city center church like ours, used to being in the middle of things in more ways than one, to listen and act and dwell at the edges of our experiences, our knowledge, our assumptions, to get out of the way just enough that we might center and hear new voices, new leadership, 
new possibilities, those new old dreams of God? What would it look like to dream dreams so big that we couldn't see them come to pass without the help of God and the assistance of all the John the Baptists and Sacagaweas and spirit-sent voices calling out from the wilderness to prepare a way for God to do a new thing in our midst. What would that look like? I don't have the answers, but, but they're questions that I invite us to ponder in our hearts this Advent season. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness Make straight the paths of the Lord. Among you stands one whom you do not know. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Can you hear it? The future might just be closer than you think. Amen.